0: Imagine right now, you have a great life, you have a great husband, you have little kids, life is good, then bam, one day, you have to leave your job, your kids have to leave their school, they have to leave their friends, you have to leave your friends that you've had for four or five years, where'd you go? Where would you go? That's what I asked them.
1: These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable, with Jeff Struker. Hey guys, welcome to Unbeatable. I'm Jeff Struker. We have got an incredible show for you today. I can't wait to introduce you to two women who I have the greatest respect for. In fact, you're going to hear today why I have such great respect for them. But the thing that connects me to these two women is one of my best friends in the world, a guy by the name of Aaron Weaver. I got to know Aaron a long time ago when he and I both served in the army. In fact, Aaron and I became so close that we competed in the best ranger competition, this military competition. If you've never heard about it, that's okay. Go look at it on Google and you will be blown away by one of the world's most difficult endurance competitions. Aaron Weaver was my partner for two years. And I'll be honest with you, for two years, I gave every ounce of blood, sweat, and energy that I had just to keep up with this phenomenal athlete. I got a chance to get to know Aaron. I got a chance to love the man that he was. And when he met and fell in love with Nancy, the love of his life, I got a chance to get to know this lady. And then Nancy went through what no spouse on earth wants to go through. She had the perfect life. Everything was going the way that she wanted it to go. And then in one moment, it all disappeared. You're going to hear Nancy tell about that moment in this episode. I can't wait to introduce you to these two incredible women, Nancy and Savannah Weaver. Thanks for joining me, ladies.
0: You're very welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about Aaron, who is not in this broadcast today because Aaron passed away. We'll get to the details of that story in a little bit. But Nancy, let's talk about your late husband. How did you meet Aaron? Tell us the story about him on the softball court.
0: (laughs) So I met Aaron Weaver when I was in my early 20s and I was playing softball for the local newspaper where I worked. Aaron's father, Mike, also worked at the newspaper, and we were there at a softball practice in Crystal River, Florida. And Aaron, I did not know him, uh, you know, we saw this young buff man riding up on his bicycle. He had on his black Ranger shorts that's all he had on, uh, and a camelback, you know, feeding him his water. It was a hundred degrees in Florida and he came riding up on his bike and we all were like, who in the world is that? And he came strutting out onto the softball field, you know, as an army, as an ex army ranger, didn't have an ounce of fat on him. Very confident, um, you know, very poised and, that's how I
1: met him. Yeah, you can just imagine if you're listening to this episode, this guy rolls up with uh, nothing but a very tight short, very tight booty shorts on basically on a bicycle in the middle of a softball game. And of course, every head is going to turn because of how stunningly good looking this guy is. Aaron and I had a chance to work together for a long time in the Army. I loved him. He is, um, without a doubt, one of my best friends. And in fact, for those of you who don't know it, we named our oldest son after him. So you guys met on a softball court. Very unusual way to run into each other. But um, fell in love, got married. Tell us about the marriage, but specifically tell us about the first year or two married to a guy who now goes back into the Army.
0: Okay, so... Uh, When I met Aaron, I had a four-year-old son. His name is Austin. And Aaron and Austin hit it off instantly. They became best friends. Aaron taught Austin how to ride a bike, how to swim, uh, how to play baseball and football. I often would tease them that uh, Aaron actually liked Austin a little bit more than he did me. But anyway... um, (laughs) We got married and, uh, I always knew that he had a passion to go back into the military. So when we met, Aaron had already been through Somalia. Um, after Somalia, he got out of the army, came back to his hometown, which is where, um, I met him and he was going to college when I met him. I knew that he maybe wanted to go back into the military, but it wasn't a definitive, uh, you know, path. Until one day he came home and said, I got accepted to flight school. I always knew he dreamed of being a pilot. and His older brother is a pilot. So off he went uh, to uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. I stayed in Florida, and we commuted back and forth every weekend. After his uh, schooling in Fort Rucker, we were stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, we arrived there in '99, and we had a great life. Uh, Aaron always wanted children. If if he were still alive today, I'd probably have five children. He always wanted kids. He loved kids. He was always saying, "Hurry up! I want to have another. I want to have a kid. I want to have a kid. Let's have a kid." And I was like, "Okay, let's just get settled first." Uh, so we get to North Carolina, and uh, he's. A pilot. I start working in a real estate agency, and then we decide to have Savannah. Or we decide to have a baby.
1: Yeah. How old or how long have you guys been married when Savannah came along?
0: Uh, three years.
1: Savannah, three years. I, I'll I'll tell you, Aaron really it was a, a child at heart. That's probably why he hit it off with Austin. But uh, Savannah, I he talked to me on plenty of occasions. You hung the moon for him. He w- was thrilled to have a daughter, and um, um, man, I I just remember how much of a major change that was for Aaron after he had you. Uh, it was beautiful just to see the difference in his life. And so-
0: everyone says that. Everyone in his family says. You know, Aaron was very stoic. He had a very hard exterior, you know, nothing, uh, bothered him. He was very emotionally tough, but everyone in his family talks about before Savannah, after Savannah and the drastic difference in his persona per se.
1: Yeah, you. I was saying, Savannah, you must have been a beautiful baby because you had that man wrapped around your <laughs> finger just about from the time that you left the womb.
0: Yeah. I used to have to be like, don't wake her up. When she would take naps during the day, he would want to wake her up because she was sleeping for too long and he was away from her for too long. would yeah. be like, do not wake her up.
1: Yeah. So uh, at this point, you're in North Carolina. Aaron is in the Army. He he kind of pulled the bait and switch on you, right? Because when you guys got married, he was not in the Army and then came home and said, hey, guess what? I just got accepted and I'm on my way to be a pilot.
0: Yes. And, you know, growing up in a really small town, I did not really have, you know, a military background. I even, as ashamed as I am to say this, when he and I met and he told me he was in Somalia, I had to research that. I mean, yeah. I was in high school when he went to Somalia, yeah. and uh, it was life altering for him, yeah yeah so that's one of the reasons I think he got out. So we ended up in um in North Carolina, and he had gotten really sick when I was pregnant with savannah. He was di- when I was five months pregnant with Savannah, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer, which Almost took his life. Yeah. He uh, had his, one of his testicles removed. He had it removed and it was cancerous. And the doctor gave us three choices at that time that we could do nothing. Uh, We could do radiation or we could take out all of the lymph nodes in his abdomen to see if the cancer had spread. So, we chose to do the um, lymph node, it's called, it's called RPLND surgery to take out those lymph nodes and see if they had, uh, had been exposed to cancer. So we did that and uh, he was not, the cancer did not spread, however, he had a really horrible reaction to the surgery his intestines adhesed together um, and he couldn't eat anything or drink anything without it going down or with, and it wouldn't go, he just couldn't feed himself. So he spent six straight weeks in the hospital without any food or water. He had to be fed with a pick line, which is a line that goes through your arm into your heart uh, for six weeks I think, you know, going, being an army ranger, this big buff, you know, stud to 109 pounds laid up in a hospital bed for six weeks with no food was mentally draining for him. So he gets a final surgery after being in the hospital for six weeks. They open up his incision again and they take out, the portion of his intestines that were adhesed together. And by this time I was seven and a half months, eight months pregnant with Savannah that before that last surgery, you were there, Jeff, you were with us. You, you know, we weren't sure if he was going to live. I remember talking to you about that. I was distinctly remember some conversations we had in the elevators,
1: uh,
0: you know, begging Aaron to go to the chapel, uh, at the church. So he survives, you know, he was always a survivor. Um, I remember one specific time where he really was down. It was probably the fourth or fifth week he was into the hospital. I don't know if Savannah has heard this story before or not, but, um, he just mentally has, I felt like he was done. Mm -hmm. He had given up. And so I contacted his doctors who were amazing at Fort Bragg. And I said, you know, back then, in the military you didn't get a sonogram to see what the sex was you just if you had an issue then you would get a sonogram and i asked mm-hmm. the doctor his doctor who i had grown to know and love in the past three months that we were with them if they could get me a sonogram because i felt like that would bring aaron back to life per se and so i didn't tell aaron that and so dr gravy was his name he brought aaron downstairs the the OBGYN that I went to was at the bottom of the hospital Mm -hmm. at Wilma Army Medical Center and so here comes Aaron with 109 pounds in this um, hospital gown dragging his pick line on a you know it almost looked like an IV Mm -hmm. pissed off because he has he just doesn't want to be there and he has no idea where he's going and so he meets me in the OBGYN and we get the sonogram and I remember laying there just being like, please let it be a girl. Please yeah. let it be a girl. Because yeah. I wanted a girl so bad. And um, it ended up being a girl, obviously. And he was so ecstatic. They gave us a printout. You know, back then it wasn't the greatest. But you can still see her face. And I blew that picture up in a, into an 8x10. And I took, uh, I made copies of it, like 20 copies of it. And I posted it all over his hospital bed. Yeah. <laughs> or all over his hospital room.
1: Yeah savannah you probably really did become the motivation that saved your daddy's life because in that hospital bed it just looked bleak and everything that they did it was going from bad to worse for him and you were the thing that caused him to be, stay motivated and to get and to recover nancy I, I i love to do this little segment in um this podcast and it's just a way of having a little bit of fun with each other but i, I hope that the listeners now are hearing this you're uh seven or eight months pregnant, your husband is on his deathbed, you've got a child at home, you're trying to keep it all together, and you're a busy mom who's basically trying to take care of things all by themselves. That happens to many military families when a a service member's gone overseas, the spouse is at home and have to be both mom and dad at the same time, have to handle all of the emergencies, take care of all the stuff. So I was thinking, Uh, We do this little segment called a high five. And this is where we just kind of count down the top five uh, challenges that maybe you would have been going through as a busy mom trying to take care of everything. In fact, I was just thinking, you know, not long ago, the Olympics wrapped up. And if being a single mom was an Olympic sport, I want to ask you to think for just a second. What do you think the top five things that a mom would be able to do? That all of those skinny girls in the Olympics, all of those super strong guys in the Olympics would never be able to accomplish. I was thinking about this question. In fact, I'm going to give you like a little high five here. This is my five answers. I'll start with number five and work my way up to number one. But my top five things that a mom can pull off that probably nobody else can do to include those super talented Olympic athletes. Number five is the way that they drive a minivan. They drive that thing like Olympic skiers in the Winter Olympics going downhill in the slalom. I can see moms cutting through traffic like a slalom skier on the mini, in the minivan. Number four on my list is a mom chasing a child around the house with a runny nose. And it's almost like the 400-meter hurdles. They're jumping over furniture, trying to wipe that nose before the child gets somebody else sick. So it's the 400-meter runny nose hurdles. Number three on the list is a mom wrestling with the children about what's for dinner, right? And this conversation happens in every house all over the world, like what's for dinner? And then it's an argument for the next five minutes about what's for dinner, right? Yeah, number two on my list would be this screaming baby marathon. And I'm talking about when they're six weeks old, there's something wrong, mom has no idea what's going on, and it's 26 hours of screaming and still can't figure out what on earth is wrong with this child. What are they screaming about? Mm -hmm. But for me, the number one list, now I'm going to make a shocking statement. I have never been a mom, never been pregnant. (laughs) But I've been married to a pregnant woman who has had five children. Yes. And I have seen what happens to a woman's body when she's pregnant. So I got to say that if you watch those ladies in the Olympics on the uneven bars, what happens to a woman's body is it goes from the even bars to the uneven bars. This, uh, her, the amazing transformation of her body. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be like my top things that a a, a mom can do that no Olympic athlete would be able to pull off. She would win the gold in all five of those sports. But let me ask you, Nancy. I agree. I would
0: have to say all of the above. That would be my
1: choice. Yeah, I was going to say, you you know this, being a a busy stay-at-home mom or a busy mom with all of those responsibilities, it's intense, the pressure that's on you. It's very
0: intense. And you are, I've said this to other people too, you make every decision good, the bad. You're the good parent, the bad parent. You know, you have to be happy. You have to be sad. You're making all the decisions all the time, 24-7. You're the, the taxi driver, the food preparer, the decision maker, the rock, the hard place. Yeah. Every single thing goes through you no matter what.
1: Yeah. And the, the just the pressure of that is overwhelming. Now let's add to the pressure of that combat. Because um, I want people to understand your story. It doesn't stop with Aaron having cancer. It's it's amazing to think that this guy, who was really one of the most talented athletically, one of the most athletically talented men I've ever met in my life, professional athletes would struggle to keep up with Aaron Weaver, and I'm not exaggerating here. And he becomes kind of a shell of a man in a hospital bed after multiple surgeries and cancer that could have cost him his life. And Savannah, I really do believe you're the motivation that caused him to recover, to get back on his feet, to get strong and to get healthy, and to start to fly again. And then his unit goes off to combat in a deployment to Iraq. And Aaron goes with him. And Nancy, I want you to describe why does Aaron go to Iraq? Okay,
0: so um, Aaron, recovers from surgery and we have Savannah like two weeks later and then fast forward a year, she's a year old and Aaron's unit comes up to go to Iraq. They, you know, they get called to go to Iraq and at the time within that year, Aaron was non-deployable. He was, um, you know, building up his stamina again, gaining weight. He had to go get, um, physicals every month. He had to get his blood taken every month to make sure the cancer hadn't returned. And so in June-ish of 2003, he comes home and he tells me that the his unit, C-Troop, uh, 117 Cap C-Troop in Fort Bragg, is getting called to Iraq and they're leaving in September. So I didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, I know it's a big deal, but for me it wasn't a big deal because he was not deployable, so I knew he wasn't going. So we're sitting at the dinner table, I'll never forget this conversation, and he says to me, I want to go with them. I was like, I said nothing, knowing in the back of my head, like, you just recovered from cancer. You're not going anywhere. But okay, okay, I said. And Austin's watching us. My son by this time was, gosh, I don't even know, eight, nine?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Austin's watching us. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, the guys are going. We've been training for this. I've been training for this all my life. I said, you've already been to war. Once, why do you why do you need to go again? And his response to me, Jeff, was this: "It's like going to school to be a doctor and never getting to perform surgery." Nancy, I said, "But you've already performed surgery. You've already went to war. You know what it's like. I know, but I've been training with my guys. I feel like I'm going to let them down if I don't go." Me as you're non-deployable. You can't go. You have cancer. I don't have cancer anymore. Was this? It's a, it's a calm conversation because in the back of my head, I know he's not going. Yeah. Okay. So I bring that up. Well, you're non-deployable. You can't go. Well, I'm going to ask, the, he says, I'm going to ask the flight doctor to give me a waiver to go. I'm going to try to go again. I'm like, okay, not a big deal. We move on with the conversation and three weeks later, he comes home and says he's going.
1: Yeah, I I want to make sure everybody heard that statement. Aaron Weaver does not have to, in fact, he's not supposed to medically even be allowed to go to combat. And he convinced me. So he
0: tells me he's going and it got approved by the medical doctor. And I'm like, how is that possible? He's like, Well, I had to pass a PT test, and you know, he's like Mr. Fit and he nothing challenges him physically. And he said, I have to fly to Baghdad once a month while I'm over there and get my blood drawn to make sure that I don't, that the cancer hasn't returned. Yeah.
1: yeah because at this point, the doctors, no no doctors in the world would declare that, can't, that Aaron doesn't have cancer anymore. He should be at home with you. But instead of staying at home, he says, I am going to Afghanistan. I'm going to Iraq because my unit and the, the men that I've trained with need me. Correct. Now, Savannah, do you, at this point, um, you're about a year old, right? When he leaves, maybe a little bit older than a year.
0: He, he left September 1st and it was a one week after her first birthday. Yeah.
1: So one of my questions for you, Savannah is, do you have any memories? Is there anything that you can really remember about your father? Honestly, I don't
2: have a single memory of my father. I mean, I can watch all the videos in the world or see all the pictures in the world or hear all the stories that everyone tells me, but nothing really sparks a memory in my head at all. So it's kind of hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I want to spend a few moments on that in just a second, but Nancy, would you describe where you are on January 8th, 2004? What are you doing when you get notified?
0: Okay, so I am working at Townsend Real Estate in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in the sales department, the sales building. There's a sales building and a rental building, and they're next to each other, separated by a long sidewalk that's about 50 feet. So I'm working it that day, and that morning, one of my friends from Fort Bragg calls me, one of the other pilot's wives, at work, and she had asked me if I had heard from Aaron that day. which. Uh, Thinking back now, you know, I, I, at the time, I didn't think it was a strange question because Aaron called me, called us every single day from Iraq. He would walk a mile to use the phone and walk a mile back every single day. So I hadn't really, and I just, you know, told her no. And we, we got off the phone later that evening. I or later that afternoon at work, I was going to run an errand for my boss. And I pulled out of the parking lot of Townsend Real Estate And I remember seeing a police car as I was pulling out. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, those police cars, those Fayetteville police cars really look like military police cars. I remember that exact thought. I go and do my errand. 20 minutes later, I'm coming back and I pull into Townsend Real Estate and I am walking up to go inside. I've got, I think I had my lunch, I had my purse and it was either my lunch or some ice cream because our boss always asked me to get him ice cream. And... Out of the office comes my office manager, Doris, and she said, there's someone in the rental building that wants to speak with us. Didn't think it was a big deal. I said, okay, let me put my stuff down. She's like, well, let's just go over there now. Not a big deal. I said, okay, so we turn around and we are going down the sidewalk towards the rental building, and I see the police car that I think is a Fayetteville police car. Again, it's still in the drive, you know, in, in front of the building and it registers with me what's going on. And I just stopped and I looked at Doris and I said, is he alive? And she I could, she had her sunglasses on and she's got tears running down her eyes and she said, I don't know. And I just dropped everything. I, I can remember exactly what I was wearing everything i dropped everything in my hands and i just started running to the rental building our office was on the top so i fling open the bottom door i'm running up the stairs i fling open the top stairs into the rental office and there's those men in uniform that everybody talks Mm -hmm. about there was three of them all dressed up and i was like no, 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 no! This is not happening. I turn, turn back around to go back down the stairs. Like I'm not gonna. I am not going i do not want to hear this. I don't want to be part of this. And Doris is coming up the stairs, and she's like, "You have to go inside." So I go inside. These three gentlemen um, tell me that Aaron passed away on a Blackhawk, And you know that morning when I woke up. All over the news stations were a Black Hawk that had crashed and eight soldiers were killed. It was all over the news, it was over the radio on the way to work. But I didn't think twice about it because Aaron didn't fly Black Hawks. So I just went with it through, through my day. So when these men are telling me that Aaron passed away on a Black Hawk, I kept telling them that they were wrong. He didn't fly Black Hawks. I told them that Aaron's brother was a Black Hawk pilot who was also in our back. And I think that they have them confused. Repeatedly, I kept saying that. They kept telling me that, you know, it was definitely him. Do I know why he might have been on the Black Hawk? Um, and I just kept arguing with them. I just kept saying, it's not him. Like, you've got the wrong person. He didn't fly Blackhawks. And I guess half an hour into this battle, me saying this isn't happening to them calmly saying it was him, this just back and forth and back and forth, um, aaron's lieutenant who had come back to the states early his name is mike zendejas at the time he was a lieutenant lieutenant zendejas came in the rental building and he was all dressed up in his dress greens you know and mike had been to our house so many Mm -hmm. times for dinner and we had gone places with him he was a single soldier at the time and aaron was always inviting the single soldiers over for dinner because he didn't want them to be alone where they would go places with us and when i saw mike come in the door in his dress greens, um, I knew that it was true because yeah. I knew that Mike would not be there if yeah. it wasn't true. Yeah, And so at that time, it was like complete meltdown.
1: Yeah, I want to explain to the listeners. So Aaron doesn't have to be in Iraq. In fact, probably medically speaking, shouldn't be in Iraq. He should but not con- have been there, right. Convinces doctors to let him go. And then, Nancy, you get notified that a Black Hawk helicopter has been shot down uh, by enemy fire. Actually, a medical helicopter that's not considered, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a legitimate target okay. in war yeah,
0: threat, is, yeah,
1: is shot down. And Aaron doesn't fly Blackhawks. He is a helicopter pilot, but he doesn't fly Blackhawks. So it's only natural to think, that can't possibly be my husband. Until you learn why Aaron is on that Blackhawk, right? And why is Aaron on the Blackhawk that gets shot down in Fallujah, Iraq, in January of 2004?
0: So Aaron is on the medevac because he is flying to Baghdad to get his blood taken to see if his cancer had returned. It was one of the stipulations that allowed him to go. And the story that I've heard from the soldiers that were there, his, you know, his crew, he was late that day. That The person that was taking him didn't get up on time and he was late. And um, he, his name was Craig, ironically. And Craig drove him to the uh, helicopter site where they were supposed to pick him up. And they were late and the helicopter was already off the ground and it landed again so he could get
1: on. Yeah. Yeah. What you're hearing right now is Aaron really is the kind of husband that everybody dreams to marry. He is the kind of dad who is so over the moon about his daughter that everybody wants to have a daddy like that. He's the dream husband, dream dad. And all of a sudden, your dreams become nightmares when you just learn, I've just lost my husband who really didn't have to be in combat in the first place. Um, Savannah, do you remember learning about, or when did it actually become uh when did you finally understand that your, your, your father was gone?
2: I, I don't have much memories of learning that he had passed because I was so young. Yeah. I think it was always just kind of in the back of my head that I didn't have a father and my father was a hero. Cause that's just what everyone was telling me. I don't really remember a specific time where it like clicked into my head. I think it's always just kind of been like a fact in my life. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So I want to start with Savannah and then move back to you, Nancy Savannah. How do you, how did losing a parent, that you really never got a chance to know. How did that affect you becoming the woman that you are? I mean, you basically grew up not ever having a chance to have a conversation with your father. How did that impact who you become today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's different losing someone so young because it doesn't affect you, like, in the moment when it happens, but it affects you, like, for the rest of your life. Um, You know, I always wondered what my life would be like with him obviously, as anyone would. Um, but I think it's honestly made me stronger and hearing about how good of a person he was and how much he cared and how much drive he had to do the things that he wanted to accomplish, I think it's kind of inspired me to be the same way. And I think it's led me to a lot of the successes that I've had in my life and it will lead me for the rest of my life, yeah. so.
1: Yeah. Nancy, tell us, how, how do you handle how did you pick yourself up off the floor uh, You know, when you learned that you just lost your husband? How do you make it through the next week, month, year?
0: Mm, I think that those first few months, I would think to myself, what would Aaron want me to do? Um, you know, you, of course, want to make your husband who just gave his life for his country, you want to make him proud. I think that you do a lot of crying and a lot of wishing and a lot of praying and a lot of begging before you accept your life for what it is and you are angry, but you have to turn that anger into gratefulness for what you still have. Um, I was very grateful that I had Savannah and Austin. I was grateful for a military community that picked me up and helped me, you know, when I needed it the most, I was grateful for, um, the financial support the military gave me that they, they still do for me and the children. You know, I get asked all the time. This is what happens when I meet someone or when I become friends with someone. We live in a small town. We live in the, in the town that where Aaron and I grew up. And um, our, our history obviously is, is fairly well known. And when I make friends, it takes about a month, maybe six weeks before people get up the courage to say, tell me what that day was like. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you? And my answer is, you know, I've done a few speaking engagements. My answer is this. Imagine right now you have a great life. You have a great husband. You have little kids. Life is good. You you have a great job. Your kids have friends all over the neighborhood. And then, bam, one day, your husband dies. You have to leave your job. Your kids have to leave their school. They have to leave their friends. You have to leave your friends that you've had for four or five years. Where do you go? Where would you go? That's what I asked them. So you just can't give up. You know, I think about Aaron, I think about Somalia, the cancer, the Iraq, he never gave up. And so I guess that I carried that motto, for lack of a better word. You know, he used to say to Austin all the time, just suck it up, Austin. So that's what we say to each other. That's what we say to each other. And that's what I would say to myself. Yeah. It could always be worse.
1: Um, I, I didn't tell you guys this. You are the second guests ever on this podcast that's entitled Unbeatable. And the reason why you guys are being interviewed is because you really are women who I have the greatest respect for. And it's not what you went through. It's how you handled what you went through. It's the women that you become today that makes me respect you both so much. Because let's just be honest, Savannah, your life could have gone down a really dark path. Nancy, you know, you could have gone off the deep end, um, but you guys really held it together and demonstrated even the greatest nightmare that somebody can imagine. You went through it and you picked yourself back up. You got back in there and you didn't let it beat you. It
0: wasn't always rosy. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like it was. There were many nights of, you know, crying yourself to sleep and you know wishing and praying how did this happen to us and I made a lot of mistakes along the way I'm not gonna say that I didn't but um I I just learned from those mistakes and I you know admit them and I want my children to be better I want my children to be better people than I than Aaron and I were so That's the ultimate
1: goal. Well, I kind of want to wrap up with this. I don't want us to just harp on the pain and the difficulty that you went through because you went through it for years. In fact, probably from time to time, still feel the pain of losing a husband, not having a father around. But why don't you tell us a little bit about life now? Tell us about Craig and tell us about life now, uh, Nancy.
0: So I met uh, Craig, my my current husband, 15 years after Aaron passed away, and we were both working at the local sheriff's office here, and he came, um, you know, bouldering in much like Aaron did into my life. He has um, been, you know, he's the first guy that, that I ever dated in those years that said to me. I want to come with you to the events, you know, because we go to events for Aaron all the time. Purple Heart events. Um, we, we're always remembering his name. The post office is named after him. His name is on all these buildings in our in our community, and he's the first person that I ever met who said, "I want to come with you. I want to I want to celebrate your husband, and I want to honor. I want to honor that." Uh, and I think that was a huge step for me. And it was very difficult for Savannah when it, when Craig and I met, she was in middle school, and it you know mostly had been her and I in Austin and mm-hmm. it was really difficult for her. She was not accepting of this new man in, in our lives, and she um she did not give up. Let's just say that there were times where I said, "There's the door, buddy, because if yeah. I were you, I'd be like, "Peace out." and she <laughs> She was never rude or disrespectful, but it was very clear that she wanted no part of him, so yeah. he never gave up on her ever, and yeah. he still hasn't. Savannah, and
1: that's a you, lot to have. yeah, you got some of your uh, your father's stubborn personality in there is basically oh, for what you're doing, sure. yeah. <laughs> Hey, I am so thrilled that you guys would be willing to come in to this broadcast talk about, you know, what you went through a long time ago, but not only that, but to tell people, hey, listen, it's rough. It's not fun. Something that you'd want anybody to go through. But get back in there, suck it up, don't uh, you know, don't let it overwhelm you. Uh, you know, one one of these days you'll get back on your feet and 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 you'll get back after it. And Savannah, I'm hoping that the day comes where some guy comes rolling across the softball field with nothing but booty shorts on a bicycle and you fall head over heels for that guy.
0: I'm hoping for that too, Jeff. Hey,
1: guys, it's great to have you on the broadcast. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us. I hope you guys are doing well. Can't wait to see you again in person. It
0: was good to see you, Jeff.
1: All right. We'll see you later hey guys, you just heard from an amazing Gold Star family. If you don't recognize that phrase, it's okay. Gold Star families are those families that have lost a service member from the Marines or the Air Force or the Navy or the Army in combat. You heard this incredible story of a wife who's picture perfect life. It was going great until she got invited to go to this office room at her workplace. And there were some guys in uniform there to tell her that her husband had just been killed in combat. You heard from a daughter who really never got a chance to know her father. And the incredible story that Air, that Nancy and Savannah Weaver told today is how they handled this nightmare of losing a spouse, losing a father, and how they were able to pick themselves up and to continue um, to, to make it day after day. The whole reason the Unbeatable Prod- podcast exists is just to introduce you to incredible people like Savannah and Nancy Weaver. So that you can learn from their experiences so that when life hits you hard and you just got overwhelmed with circumstances that you didn't expect, you can hear from examples of people that have gone through it before you who have been able to endure the difficulties and who have demonstrated that they are unbeatable. That way, when life hits you hard, you can get back up, dust yourself off and be unbeatable too. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. You can find this podcast on social media everywhere. Just look for at unbeatable podcast. Thanks for joining us with this episode. Before we go, I want to leave you with the final thought for this week. You heard Aaron and Nancy say this to each other when their life got difficult because they're unbeatable. They would look each other in the eyes and they would say, suck it up. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you back here next week.